We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Well, hello there. How you doing today? June 30th, and I tell you what, what a June 30th it is. End of the month, already the end of the third week of this show, IB Nation Sports Talk. Time's just, I mean, it's flown right by, and Bobby Hensley is here today looking fresh and ready to go as ever. How you doing there, Bobby? I'm doing great. I'm trying to match your energy and your, your vibe, so <laughs> yeah, a lot of right. stuff happened today, though. I tell you what. A lot of stuff happened today, and we're going to get you, into all of it. You Go told ahead. me when we started this that you're like, well, in June, there's not going to be a whole lot to talk about. And today there is. So much for that. On June 30th, there is. That's for <laughs> yeah. sure. Yeah. Uh, before before we start, as always, just a friendly request for you, you know, to hit that like button on the YouTube. Subscribe as well if you haven't already. If you're listening to the podcast on one of the audio podcast platforms, be sure to subscribe, rate us as well. It all goes a long way toward helping us out. I just saw something move on my Twitter screen, and I've got to keep that open with all this open activity today. I mean, again, I, you know, I, I tell you what, big news today between the Pac-12 and the Big Ten, and I was surprised to see everyone making these leaps toward what it means for Notre Dame right away, but USC, UCLA, considering moving to the Big Ten, apparently, according to reports, there could be a formal announcement coming tonight. So we will, you know, we'll be talking about that here in a little bit. We've got some other stuff we're going to get to first, but we will be talking about that USC, UCLA pending move to the Big Ten. I was shocked just to, you know, to, to see, I thought Bobby, when I first saw the tweet, the first thing I was like, "Hold it! This this is not April Fool. You know, this is not April first. What what di- what's the date? You know, what what day is this today? <laughs> it's June thirtieth. There's no reason someone should be tweeting something like this. But then there it was. Well, exactly the same for me. I got it from a friend, and they sent me a link to something, and I was like, "There's no way this is real right now." But I, I mean, I guess now is the time to move because there's no sports going on collegiately. Yeah, you can have the time to set it up, but it just seems like such a weird move. And and we'll get into it. But man, like, what's going on in the conferences? Seriously, seriously. And again, we're going to get into that even more in just a little bit. But um, 
Wow. Someone said salt. So our, our friend salty Virginia peanut said he didn't get the alert. Well, I'm glad that you're here salty and uh, you know, just be as salty as ever in the chat today. We always appreciate it, but if anyone's um, salty, it's you, Sean. That's well, I don't know about that. We're going to see here in a minute, just how salty Bobby is able to get, uh, you know, we talked last week about what changes people would like to see Notre Dame football make. And the people have spoken apparently Notre Dame has listened the Notre Dame football Twitter account <laughs> tweeted a video of Marcus Freeman today reading some mean tweets from people who are ticked off that Notre Dame football never wears green jerseys, even when there's an Irish wear green game. I always did think that was ironic. It's like fans wear green, but we're not going to actually wear green jerseys. But they're going to wear them when they host Cal September 17th. What do you think, Bobby? Green jerseys are officially coming this year. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. My wife is the coffee drinker in our house. So when I told her about trying out Trade Coffee, she was curious. When I told her that if she answered the survey Trade sent me, they could match her with brands she would like, she was downright skeptical. We ended up getting three different shipments from three regional coffee makers. And let me tell you, she was blown away. My coffee snob wife loved each and every new blend that she got. As a non-coffee drinker myself, I must admit, opening up the cabinet and getting a whiff of her most recent blend was aromatically pleasing. Trade sells the freshest roasted and ethically sourced beans from America's best independent roasters. They ship free to you, and as often as you like, whole or ground. Whether you're a coffee connoisseur like my wife, or just want a better daily cup, Trade's real coffee experts taste test over 400 roasts, and use technology to match you to your ideal coffee based on your preferences and brewing method. Take the coffee quiz to get started. Trade Coffee guarantees you'll love your first bag or they'll replace it for free. And right now for Irish Breakdown listeners, Trade is offering new subscribers a total of 30 off your first order plus shipping when you go to drinktrade.com forward slash Irish. That's more than 40 cups of coffee for free. Get started when taking their quiz at drinktrade.com forward slash Irish and let Trade find you a coffee you'll love. That's drinktrade.com forward slash Irish for $30 off. I think it's great. I think that they got over the curse of what the green jerseys were because for a while, every time they wore them, it meant a loss. I'm wearing green yeah. today, hoping for a good show. I think that uh, the green's a good thing for them. And like you said, like they're going to make the fans wear green. I think it's good for the, the, the team to wear green as well. And you can get all amped up for it. And plus, it's a good way to sell merchandise and get more Absolutely. revenue going there. 
Well, you know, when we talked about it last week, I said, pick one of these games that Mm -hmm. fans are going to have a harder time otherwise getting excited about and just announce in advance you're going to wear green jerseys. Boom, here we are a week later, and that's exactly what they're going to do. You know, there were people kind of going, eh, to the Cal game, even though it's Cal and Pac-12 and all that. But Pac-12 for now. (laughs) Yeah, That's right. That's right. And, you know, of course, here's, here's this. I am... Garbage man says, why waste green on Cal? Well, that's like very I easy. Said, I think you're better off doing it for one of these less significant games. Right. So that, again, so that that you're, people weren't going to be as excited about Cal. So now you're saying we're wearing green jerseys. And it's kind of like it gives that game a different kind of energy because now it's going to be a green jersey game and you know it in advance. And that's exactly what it is. You you don't need them to wear green on a game against Clemson or something because that game's already got all the makeup to be a pretty spectacular matchup, yeah. stuff like that. So you don't need the green there. Plus, like I say, if you wear green and you lose and everybody goes, oh, we hate the green, we don't want it anymore. Why would we wear green? It means we're going to lose every time. So I, I just think that the way that they've done it, it's pretty good. It, it's a game yeah. and it gives you another reason to watch. And like You don't want green in the first home game because then – you're going to think, oh, is that just the New Jersey, like a casual fan? So I think it works out really well just to mix it up against a opponent like Cal, which it's still a you know, power five matchup, but it's also going to give you another reason to go or another reason to enjoy the game. I'll be curious to see what those green jerseys look like. I personally don't care for the blue numbers, the dark, you know, navy blue numbers on the green, which is what they have had. I think the last time or two with Under Armour that they've worn. I would prefer to see either a gold number, like a real gold number again, not this mustard stuff, but a real gold or just white (laughs) numbers on there. I agree with everybody else. No mustard. It's time to get rid of the mustard and move on to real green. Right. Real green with like the dark gold numbers, what you want to see. Yep. That's a that's a good look. I like the the dark gold. The mustard only like worked because it was a throwback to the seventies. There's no need to keep it around. Yep, I agree. Keep it on your hot dog, not on your jersey. Yeah. Again, we're gonna get into this USC UCLA to the Big Ten stuff in a little bit. But Bobby, if I remember right, you were not a fan of the TV show Lost. Is that correct? It's not that I'm not a fan. I've just never watched it. Okay, well, I guess you can't be a fan if you don't watch it. So that's, you know, what, whatever, come see, come see. But that's what I thought anyway. And I know not everyone has watched Lost. But, of course, it was a big hit, you know, big hit show a few years back. I just finished doing a complete rewatch because I've got the DVD set. So that was a lot of fun. <laughs> and a DVD but, player. <laughs> yeah, that's, well, yeah, I still have a couple of those around as well, even though the, the functionality is decreasing all the time but (laughs) one of the main characters on the show was john locke and something john locke used to say don't tell me what i can't do you know i think the first time viewers heard locke say that was early in season one the walkabout episode when he takes this trip tries to take a trip to australia but there's a shocking reveal at the end of the episode and all this stuff and so anyway that kind of got me thinking what what got me thinking about lock and that saying don't tell me what i can't do is brian kelly because brian kelly had a habit of telling us what he couldn't do (laughs) specifically when it came to recruiting brian kelly liked to tell us you know there were certain big time guys you just couldn't land at notre dame because 
you know, he had to go shopping down a different aisle than guys like Dabo and Ryan Day and, and you know, Saban and all that kind yeah. of stuff. And, you know, so Kelly's been, you know, gone for going on seven months now. And, well, it turns out it's not as hard to shop down those same aisles as Kelly would have <laughs> led us to believe, right? Well, it's not only that he has to shop down different aisles. Part of it was the NILs, and Notre Dame isn't as involved in those as other programs. But that doesn't seem to matter right now. They're still getting the top class. They're still getting recruits. I don't – maybe the limitation was Brian Kelly himself. That's why he had to shop down a different aisle. Well, that's, you know, that's a very good point, Bobby, and astute observation because Kelly wanted us to believe, you know, that he needed to spend most of his time shopping down the generic aisle. And, you know, maybe every now and then you venture over to where the brand names are and, you know, you take a shot at some Skippy or some Heinz 57 or – whatever it happened to Sweet be. Sweet baby raised barbecue. <laughs> Had some of that tonight, as a matter of fact. But, you know, I don't know why they call it Hamburger Helper, Clark. It does just fine on its own. So, <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, then along comes Marcus Freeman, and it's just been night and day different. You know, the guy can't go out at night without a five-star or a four-star just falling in his lap, basically. It's like he landed two more four-stars in a 12-hour period between last night and this morning, they got to commit around eight o'clock last night and another one, I guess maybe, maybe 13. I think it was 8 a.m. Central time, actually. Time but, zones. you know, yeah, yeah, yeah time zone, schmime zones. You know, he gets 2024 wide receiver Cam Williams last night, grew up thinking he was maybe going to go to Michigan. And then about 12, 13 hours later, he gets offensive lineman in the 2023 class, Charles Jagusa, this morning. So it puts Notre Dame back in the number one spot in the nation with both this year's and next year's recruiting classes. And, you know, look, I'll give Brian Kelly his due. You know, he came off that four and eight season and he turned it into five straight years with double digit wins and a couple college football playoff appearances. The recruiting did get better while he was doing it, but sometimes you've just reached your peak, you know, and you need a change to put you over the top, you know, like the Kansas city chiefs, when they had Alex Smith, they, you know, they finished second, like three years in a row in the AFC West. And they win a couple division championships with Alex Smith, but they couldn't go anywhere once they got to the playoffs. Right. So it was obvious that the chiefs, if they were going to actually be a legitimate contender, they had to make an upgrade. So what do they do? They draft Patrick Mahomes and the rest is history. And it's the same with Notre Dame. They were winning, and they were winning in an unprecedented clip with all those double-digit win seasons stacked back-to-back. You, you go back through history. Nobody else you know, has w- five straight double-digit win seasons. But what happened when they played the elite teams, Bobby? Well, I think Brian Kelly got Notre Dame as far as they could go with That's him. That's my point. With him. I don't think he that's was recruiting. My point. That's that's exactly yep. my point. He wasn't recruiting based on him or what his philosophies were. He was recruiting on the success that he had. And I think that that's cool, but he was never the selling point. The selling point was they made the right. playoffs or they were able to play in these marquee games, but it was never him. And then you get to a point where it's like, okay, is this all he can do? And that's why you kind of saw him leaving the picture at the end of last year, I think. And Freeman, that's what the – Big thing about him was is he's going to have a good coaching staff and he's going to get recruits because he was doing most of the recruiting for Kelly anyway and in some positions. So I think what you're seeing is him excelling at what he was supposed to be good at, which is wonderful for a Notre Dame program. Absolutely, because in college football, 
the only way to get over the hump, you obviously can't go out and draft players. You want to get over the hump. You want to compete with the elite teams. You have to go out and recruit on an elite level. And that's what Marcus Freeman is doing right now. Again, Marcus, or Brian Kelly was recruiting to a level that was better than virtually, what, 80% of the schedule they played in any given year. But he was oh, not recruiting at a level that was going to beat the Alabamas, Clemsons, Ohio States consistently. I was just going to say that he he got them into a spot where Notre Dame is one of the marquee programs again. I don't know how you, for him he couldn't get over that hump to be the Alabama, the Georgia, the Clemson, but he gained sustainable success the last several years. But he that was all his peak was. So he had to leave while he was hot. And I think it what you're seeing now is Notre Dame being a top recruiting class. That's exciting for a Notre Dame fan because now you're seeing. Well, maybe they're going to have the opportunity to compete with the same type of players as Alabama. Because if you can compete in the living room for recruiting, it should translate onto the field where you can compete with them. Right. And so Marcus Freeman has taken this to another level is the bigger point. Because in the meantime, you know, mm-hmm. even Clark Lee down at Vanderbilt has a better recruiting class right now than Brian Kelly. And, you know, SMU, Boston College, Colorado are far ahead as well but Notre Dame got the guy they needed to push him over the top that is the point of what I'm saying now to get over that peak you know not just to get to the peak but get over it this is what you need this elite kind of recruiting that we continue to see so I'm curious your thoughts on just the job that Marcus Freeman has done in recruiting so far I mean this goes back obviously to when he was defensive coordinator as well but it is again with him in charge, it has just gone to another level in this less than seven months that he's been at the helm at Notre Dame. Well, that that's just it. It's seven months. And how many games has he coached? Two, if you conclude, include the spring game? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Which they won. <laughs> no, I think he's, he's done a great job. I think, you know, you get that settling of the coaching staff, which you never know how that's going to go, who's going to stay, who's going to go. And people made their moves and – that's not on him. That's, you know, everybody making their own decision. But everything he's done, everything in terms of being a Notre Dame guy, instituting some of the traditions that have been missed out by Notre Dame football Saturdays and the recruiting, I I think he's excelled even beyond what people could have expected. I think it's a slam dunk right now. Now, he hasn't coached a regular season game yet, but I think he's put himself up in a good spot to be way better than what you would think from anybody else. Like last year at this point, or, you know, with Brian Kelly, he's already excelling better at the recruiting stuff and the non-season stuff more yeah. than what Notre Dame's seen in 15, 20 years. 16 commits already in the 2023 class, one five-star, 13 four-stars among them. Nobody has more four-stars than Notre Dame. Now, five commits so far in 2024, you got one five-star, C.J. Carr, the quarterback from Michigan, he could end up reclassifying and being in the 2023 class. That conversation is going on right now. We'll see exactly how that plays out. But four four stars so far in the 2024 class already. I'm curious, Bobby, you know, how much do you factor in recruiting when it talk, you know, when it comes to like how you talk about a coach, like this is a good coach or this is a bad coach, you know, how, how, how you evaluate a coach as a coach, how does recruiting factor into that for you? It's got to be the time of year because right now you're basing all of it on recruiting and what they're projected to be. I think that in college it's so unique because in pro it's obviously different. 
But I think there is a huge component of what makes a coach successful based on their recruiting. And I think that maybe like 40, 60, because you have to get the good players to win. It goes hand in hand. Yeah. I think it's a good component, but I don't think it's the most important thing on a coach. You still have to see how they do on game day, how they do during the games. And especially the first year coach, it's really hard because maybe like right now, the way that the timeline broke down for Freeman against Kelly and everything, it's like, well, the recruiting classes look great. He was already on the staff, which helps. He's embedded a little bit in the program. But so I would say about 40% of what the coaches make up is, is recruiting. Okay. Yeah. You know, I used to really separate the two, you know, there's coaching mm-hmm. and then there's recruiting, you know, you know, actual instruction, coaching, X and O coaching, strategic coaching, all that stuff. And then there's recruiting. And I think, you know, that kind of came from when I was around Paul Maneri's program, when I was doing Notre Dame baseball play by play back when, when Paul was still here, he didn't necessarily land a bunch of highly touted guys. You know, now with pitchers, it was a little bit different. You get your, your, like your Aaron Heilman's and your Brad Lidges and those kind of guys, but position players, you got a lot of diamonds in the rough. A lot of times turned them into, you know, what he thought they could be. And they won a lot, you know, really, you know, kind of a little bit of the blueprint that Brian Kelly has, you know, kind of actually gone with him specifically, if you want to take it to boil it down even farther, like what Mike Elston was doing with the defensive lineman really found specific guys he was looking for that he felt like he could mold. But my mindset really changed on this. When I talked with Muffet McGraw a few years ago, after she won that second national championship, I, I asked her, you know, there's all these different new programs that have kind of popped up in, in women's college basketball, like South Carolina, Mississippi State, some of those kind of schools, NC State, you know, who have had a lot more national success in recent years. And so I asked her, you know, is is the success due, you know, more to schools just basically investing more in those programs? You know, what what do you see it as? And she said, no, it's about recruiting the best players. You know, and obviously basketball has a smaller roster but it's not enough just to say, okay, you've got a McDonald's All-American who's a top 30 or a top 40 player, and you fill your roster with that. Now, you still want some of those kind of players, but if you're going to win championships, you've got to get you know top five and top 10 players. It's not enough just to have you know those top 30, top 40. And so, you know, again, like if you translate it to the other sports, it's really not that hard. It's just, it's pretty simple math, really. Like I went, go back and look at some of the recruiting rankings over the years. Look where USC was when Pete Carroll had them number one, you know, in the nation, in the polls and on the field every year. They were also number one in the recruiting rankings. Urban Meyer, both at Florida and Ohio State, obviously Alabama, Georgia these last few years leading up to this national championship. You know, so again, I don't think people, you know, who don't follow recruiting closely, maybe consider it, you know, part of. Of coaching, but I, I agree with you. I think it's at least 40%. There's a direct correlation, you know, to high recruiting rankings and teams that win national championships. You know, the higher the level of the talent you start with, the greater your margin for error, basically, on game day. So it's it's right up there. I think you're right, you know, kind of probably in that 60-40 kind of area. That's exactly what you just said, that margin of error kind of. Yeah, if you have 15 five-star guys at least 12 of them are going to be spectacular and maybe the other three are going to be okay, but nobody's going to be worthless depending on the kid and their work ethic, obviously, but you're, you can't miss on 15 of them. So if you get 15, you're going to be in good shape. If you only get one of them, 
or only two four stars or something like that, you're hoping it's a 50-50 shot that they work out. So I think that recruiting, they need to have a stat almost. It would be fun to look at of recruiting class versus end-of-year ranking, you know, based on yeah. stuff and to see because I bet it's pretty um, concurrent with each other. They're going to be number ones, I mean, the top three or four both ways. It, you get good athletes, you're going to win games. And in basketball, you were talking, it's, it, you know, if you get a spectacular athlete, that can change your whole program. In football, you need to get a good lineman. You need to get a good quarterback, good receiver. You almost have to look at your needs each and every year, and that changes. Mm-hmm. And that's also unique to football. Yep, absolutely. So, again, when you look at this now, Marcus Freeman in charge, we're sitting here on June 30th. How much more optimistic or are you more optimistic about this Notre Dame football season compared to last year at this time? I just think the question marks are different this year. Last year, the question marks were the offensive line. You, you, you had Jack Cohn coming in, who's a veteran guy, so you kind of expect it to be okay. This year, there's so many more question marks, I think. The coaching staff, how they're all going to respond to a new coach, stuff like that. I'm almost the exact same, I almost feel. Because last year, I felt like Notre Dame was a potential playoff team, and they, they pretty much were. They were on the fringe. And I think this year, the way the schedule breaks down gives them more opportunity to make the playoff if they win those games. So I kind of feel like Notre Dame's almost a – nine or 10 win team at worst. So I'm pretty optimistic. I am too. Um, kind of for what you're talking about, the questions are just different. Like you still have a change at quarterback, but last year you're coming off a three-year stretch with the program's all-time winningest quarterback. Yeah. And you, you know, you lose all these offensive linemen. You still had Kyle Hamilton. You know, there were, there were questions at wide, wide receiver. Now there were still questions at wide receiver, but now you've got, a, you know, a younger, I think, quarterback with a ton more upside and all these offensive linemen coming back. You've still got some key pieces, you know, even though you lose a couple defensive linemen, uh, you know, again, there's like so much young talent and just talent across the board. And Isaiah Foskey, after the big year he had, and, and you know, you, you're able to replace uh, um, Hamilton with, with a, you know, Brandon Joseph coming in from Northwestern. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm it's 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 really weird because again like most of my optimism is is almost more for the future than it is for for Ness's you know more macro right than now. micro I guess because of all this recruiting I still don't know like I, I'm pretty confident in what we're going to see but I still don't know you know with with basically a rookie head coach and and you know kind of how all that's going to play out if you get into some tight late game situations and those kind of things what's that going to look like what kind of adjustments you know all these different things decisions that have to be made it's like you said and like the comment you have up here about Michael uh, Campbell saying their depth should be better though and that's kind of what you want for a team i feel like they're building and like you said in the future they're looking great i still think this year the way the schedule breaks down it, you know that's the thing is you look preseason you're like okay well what do you expect from a team I think you kind of almost have to look at matchup by matchup all the way down the schedule and they look pretty good because like Clemson was down last year so should Notre Dame be favored in that game how many games would they be favored in and I think that's going to look like a lot of success the problem is, is if you start to stumble early what happens then but I don't think I don't see that happening for this Irish team this year the way that um, Freeman has them all set up and he's a player's guy I just there's so many good vibes going into this season 
Whereas last year it was almost like looking for tripping points and what could yeah. go wrong. And that's almost the vibe that Brian Kelly had around the program. Whereas I think Freeman just has such a good vibe going. The players are going to be happy. I think I just see a lot of success for this squad starting this year. Yeah, there's definitely more outside, you know, more expectation, I think, from the outside going into this year compared to a year ago. You know, there was really, I, I think nobody really knew what to expect because of all the turnover. That's why, like when it, you know, you see some of these different rankings with the returning talent, you know, t, you know how much returning players, you know, experience and all that stuff that, that go into these different formulas. I, I think that that last year showed that that's not big a, as big a factor as maybe, you know, people thought it, it is. Well, let's jump into some rapid fire, Bobby. And we're going to tackle this USC UCLA thing. And it is just, you know, again, maybe if, if folks, uh, if, if you haven't heard already news broke earlier this afternoon, that USC and UCLA are considering leaving the Pac-12 to join the Big Ten. And not only that, there are reports out there that the Big Ten could approve it as soon as tonight, that the Big Ten presidents are expected to maybe take a vote on this. It's expected to be unanimous. Um, let's, Let's start with it from the Notre Dame perspective, because following along on Twitter, Bobby, I was shocked how quickly a lot of these people wanted to turn this into something like all of a sudden Notre Dame's got to join a conference now because USC and UCLA are leaving the Pac-12 to join the Big Ten and all the, you know, the Big Ten sure looks attractive to Notre Dame. I, I just, I don't understand what one thing has to do with the other. How about you? Yeah, well, from the Notre Dame perspective, I they're fully entrenched in the ACC for now. I mean, that's a, they have a golden setup with them. So saying that the UCLA and USC jumping, those programs have been down for the last several years. So I don't think they're as lucrative as it, it used to be. And I almost wonder with the Big Ten, like the last several programs they've added haven't really had success in anything. So for Notre Dame specifically, the only tie to that conference would be geographically and maybe a couple rivalries of Michigan and Purdue, you could and, say. And that's Other why Notre that, Dame I don't is- see – yeah, that's why Notre Dame has not wanted to join the Big Ten because of geography. They still want to be a national school. Now, obviously, if USC and UCLA are joining the Big Ten, I mean, you've got an annual rivalry with Notre Dame, so that would potentially keep it alive. And the flip side of that is, with those two schools joining the Big Ten, you know, what does that mean for the continuance of the you know the intersectional rivalry rivalry between Notre Dame? and USC. You know, I think that that is still to be seen. There's no way we can know that today, but here's Nicole Auerbach from the athletic. She tweeted this earlier today. Notre Dame has a ton of leverage right now. Yes. But you'd also have to think that the big 10 has never been a more attractive landing spot for Notre Dame than right now either. Again, why? What, what makes it any more attractive? You're adding USC, a team you already play every year and Mm -hmm. UCLA what makes that more attractive to Notre Dame? You, you know, it's still the Big Ten otherwise. And you still are going to be confined predominantly to this part of the country. Now, the Big Ten is going to become a coast-to-coast conference. You know, you're going to be complete, you know, extremes, East Coast, West Coast, because you got Rutgers, Rutgers uh, Maryland USC. on one side. Yep. Yeah, and USC and 
UCLA, but the ACC is not affected by this. Notre Dame has an agreement with the ACC. The ACC is still intact. And as long as that agreement with the ACC is still intact, I, I, I just, again, I'm at, well, I'm at a loss for why this, why so many leaps to now Notre Dame is, is forced into joining a conference slash the Big Ten because of this. I, I don't see what one thing has to do with the other. I think Notre Dame, they're still a unique entity in the fact that they are independent and they're not like scheduling, you know, scrub schedules. They're still playing marquee teams. The ACC tie-in kind of like makes them play already kind of a conference schedule, kind of. So I think Notre Dame, especially they have ACC money, they have the NBC money. They're still an independent. They can do whatever they want. I don't like. I think Notre Dame is here, and the Big Ten is here. So for them to join the Big Ten, they'd have to go down to that level. And there's no positives for Notre Dame except for playing a couple rivals. But they could schedule those anyway, unless you know they the Big Ten starts to ban them scheduling them because. Maybe that's the only way it works out for Notre Dame is if they get banned from scheduling certain programs. But there's no reason for Notre Dame to look towards the Big Ten like, oh, that's a good choice right now. Yeah. Adam Rittenberg from ESPN. A lot of talk about additional Pac-12 schools probably being on the Big Ten's radar. Not ruling that out, but the school they want, the one they've always wanted is Notre Dame. That's where the energy likely will be placed. And that's right. You know, Notre Dame's going to have a lot of leverage in this if the Big Ten truly does want Notre Dame, but it's like I tweeted before, you know, well, Penn State thought the Big Ten was a pretty attractive landing spot about, what, 30 years ago, and when has Penn State competed for national championships since that happened? Well, look at Nebraska, a team like that. There you go. They were yeah. a blue blood program almost, and then they haven't even competed in the Big Ten, much less well, success no, beyond I think, the Big Ten. I think part of the reason for Nebraska, though, is because, you know, they they wanted, you know, they when they were successful, they won with what's become an antiquated offense with that I formation and, sure. you know, all that stuff. And they had the big linemen. And it's become, even when they were, you know, those latter days of the Big 12, where offenses started evolving and you're in a state like Nebraska, there's just no, you know, big close enough metro uh, an available pool of skill position talent to recruit from you can still get your big hog offensive linemen and defensive linemen and stuff like sure. that in nebraska but skill position wise it's just much tougher now i think to recruit there and being in the big 10 i don't think helps either because at least when you're in the big 12 you know you had texas you know more available to you but that's not the case now for Nebraska. Now, when Lawrence Phillips left the whole Nebraska program kind of fell apart yeah but for Notre Dame going back to that I don't see why they would want to join the Big Ten when they already have that's why the ACC is so perfect for them they already they have to play five games that's all they have to play in that conference right. they're still their own independent they can go out and schedule their their last game of the year in California so they can go recruit after the game I think everything is set up perfectly for Notre Dame, but you talked about before um, the idea that NBC and Peacock were looking at buying the Big Ten Network, and I wonder if this was all in play for part of that because if NBC has the Big Ten, then there might be some money for Notre Dame to move to it. But as it is now, there's no reason for them to leave their NBC contract. And now one thing that could be a big factor in this is – 
the Big Ten is they they still haven't signed their their rights their deal TV contract. Yeah. yeah, their TV rights deal, but that's still out there, and they're expected to be the first conference to get a billion dollars <laughs> in a TV contract. And I'm sure that that's part of what got USC and UCLA to leave the, the Pac-12 is is the fact they're going to get much more money by being a part of this Big Ten deal. And, you know, that could be something that the Big Ten could dangle out there for Notre Dame as well is, you know, a much bigger payday. And and just like the ACC, when Notre Dame joined up a couple of years ago during the, the COVID year, they pulled all the money and all that, you know, so like there was, you know, a split of the NBC contract and all that stuff. Uh, you know, I'll be really curious to see if the Big Ten goes hard after Notre Dame. I, I, I just I can't think that Notre Dame is going to go hard after the Big Ten. I would think it's going to be the other way around. Well, you mentioned it several times right there. The big deal is money. Like we might talk about competitiveness or who's playing for championships, but look at the way the SEC is forming with Texas and Oklahoma. They're going to be tougher for them to even be in a championship picture, you know, in terms of recruiting and being good. Obviously, the SEC will propel them if they are good. But same thing with Notre Dame. It's about the money. And I just I don't see a way that they can get more money by joining a conference. It's got to, like you're talking about suitors the other way around, right? Well, that the Big Ten will be the one be like, hey, we can give you this much money because we're gonna have this new rights deal. And it's still ultimately about the pathway to being in the college football playoff. If that's college, even more money, right? Well, not not that it's just even more money. It's also an opportunity. I mean, it is more money. I'm not. I'm not negating that by any means. But it's still, if the college football playoff expands to 12, which you know that working group that Jack Swarbrick was on a year ago at this time wanted, if it expands to 12, then that gives Notre Dame a much better opportunity to be in the college football playoff year in and year out with with the current setup that they have right now. You play five ACC games. You pick and choose the rest of your schedule. You know, you try to put a, a couple of tough games on the schedule so that you're not just playing a complete powder puff, but you've got a schedule that gives you an opportunity to be in the playoff, especially if it's 12 teams. Now, obviously, in these expanding conferences, Big Ten, SEC, that starts, you know, you're you're more confined by the schedules that you've got to play. You don't have the freedom to set your own schedules. And, you know, you, you end up, you know, they're, there are Ohio State, Penn State, Michigan, Michigan State, now USC, UCL, you know, and the Iowas and Wisconsin's. It it definitely changes pretty quickly once you're in a big conference like that. And, you know, like right now they're playing nine conference games in the Big Ten, which is, again, it, when you're adding two teams, I, I wouldn't think that's going to shrink. And so that, that could potentially affect, like, what's going to happen with USC, definitely. But I just – I don't see that being desirable right now from a Notre Dame perspective. Well, in the way that they schedule stuff, even right now with the ACC, you balance out, like you're not going to play the top five programs every year. They balance it out. So you play one here or there and that's how they, and it, it, it works. The only lucrative thing that the big depending Ten on what offer or any conference, depending on what division you're in right now though. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And then we'll, we'll see when we add and, but then uh, the only thing the Big Ten could offer that would be lucrative is obviously a conference the championship TV money. game. <laughs> well, I guess that's true, too. Yeah, That's, that's the only it, thing, though. That's their selling point because Notre Dame needs – they like that extra data point at the end against a marquee team. Right. It sure looks like the Pac-12 is going to crumble in all of mm-hmm. this because my initial thought seeing USC and UCLA jump to the Big Ten was, man, the Big 12 really whiffed on this because – 
you know, there was talk a few years back about Texas and Oklahoma leaving the Big 12 to go to the Pac-12. And now, a few years later, those two schools are obviously going to go to the SEC. And in the meantime, the Big 12 is adding schools like Cincinnati and UCF and BYU, you know, so they're adding some teams. But, man, if they had the opportunity, you know, to get themselves USC and UCLA, it would have done them a lot of good. But they've also got a chance now, the Big 12, if they're proactive, which they haven't always been in the past, <laughs> but they've got to go, you know, a chance to go out. You're adding BYU. You know, do you go out and, and grab Utah? You know, that kind of thing. Do you get Colorado back? Maybe? The Arizonas. Yeah, the Arizona school, or, you know, any of those schools. You know, yeah. like this is an opportunity, I think, really for the Big 12 to, you know, to to maybe prosper from whole this, you know, from all this. I could see, I could definitely see all those school, you know, those, those two conferences seem like a pretty easy merger when you see USC and UCLA coming this far east you know, to be in a, in a conference with all these schools predominantly r- really. Uh, yeah. I mean, predominantly from the, uh, the East of the Mississippi river. Yeah. And I, it's interesting. Cause I, one thing I wish they would change is the name of the conferences. The big 12 <laughs> isn't 12 anymore. The big 10 isn't 10 anymore. The SEC the isn't Southeast only right anymore. Now. <laughs> it, it's frustrating, but anyway, um, yeah, I think you get, they have to add something. Cause wh- who's the big, power program now Oklahoma State in the Big 12 yeah it's left over I think they if they don't evolve and if Cincinnati doesn't stay good you know something like that then they're in trouble but with the pillaging of the Pac-12 and how long are we going to go bigger super conferences and then start to break them back down again like maybe there's an east and a west in the Big 12 and then again like 10 years from now they just split off so that they can I don't know. It just feels like the ebbs and flows of college have been like this for a while. What's different now is the money in television and the matchups and the playoff is what's creating some of this too, because you can be in the top four and arguably eight or 12 moving forward and still make the playoff. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it is, it is crazy. And again, I just don't see this being, you know, the, 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 the tipping point for Notre Dame, to all of a sudden be in a conference that a lot of these national people are trying to make this today. I, I just, I, Not I just don't see that. Yeah. It's, you know, because again, at the very least, they're going to get through this next calendar year and see what happens with college football playoff. Expansion. Exactly. That's, I mean, that's the first thing, nothing they're going to, they're going to wait and see what gets decided with that. When the college, the college football playoff is likely going to expand to some degree, it's a matter of how far out it's it expands. And again, the more it expands, the more it benefits an independent Notre Dame. And it's mm-hmm. also going to be dependent on how stable the ACC is. And, you know, like, because again, as of right now, the ACC is fine. It's funny because just a couple of days ago, I saw some talk about the Big Ten, you know, possibly going after Virginia and Georgia Tech. You know, like, yeah. What benefit would well, Virginia say, and Georgia Tech have <laughs> to the Big Ten? Obviously, there's a Atlanta. lot more benefit getting to uh, Los Angeles schools. And and again, that is just catastrophic for the Pac-12 when you lose your anchor, not just your anchor program, really your two, you know, in football, obviously, it's been USC, even though they've been down, but still. The two LA schools. Yeah, you're, the, the two Los Angeles schools, you know, and that's huge for the big 10 when they start talking about this TV contract to have Los Angeles lumped in there and, and some, you know, and even like San Diego and some other markets, 
up there. That is huge for them. So it's, you know, but I think it's what, catastrophic for the Pac-12, and it's not catastrophic for Notre Dame by any means. I think it's a good time in college football to be one of those marquee brands. I think Texas got their payday going to the SEC. I think UC, or USC and UCLA are trying to make their payday going to the Big 12. The only thought to me in Notre Dame, like you said, for this year, they're fine. Let's see how it shakes out. And they have the availability to do that, which is wonderful for them. But you can't – if they're if the tide keeps going a certain way, at some point Notre Dame's either going to have to join a conference or, or not and just say it instead of just waiting around. Because if they wait two or three years, the rest of football could move into a different way and they might be left out. Yep, I agree. I agree. But for it's right good. now, I think holding Pat or staying Pat and just seeing how it breaks down, I think is perfect for Notre Dame. Yeah. Notre Dame's in a really great spot right now. With all, they hold know, all again, their cards. Yeah. As long as, as long as, as long as the ACC stays the way it is right now and you don't see the, you know, the ACC kind of get poached and picked off and things happen there, as long as that happens, you know, but, but again, that could potentially be, you know, a, a a tipping point the other way for Notre right. Dame if things were to start happening there. So Yeah, and you got to hold on, and everything's moving so fast is the thing. Because, like, last week we weren't talking about conferences or if Notre Dame should join one, and yeah. everything changed already this week so fast that I, I you hope the ACC stays intact, but if it doesn't, they got to move quick. I mean, Power 5 could become Power 4 pretty quickly, <laughs> you know, again with, like, Pac-12. Almost Power 3 and a half. Yeah. yeah, I know. I know. It's there's there's just a lot that's going on out there. So, uh, and by the way, we're going to have uh, old an old friend uh, of mine, RJ Abatia, who covers USC football uh, for uscfootball.com. He's going to join us next week, and we'll kind of get some you know some of the USC perspective on all this, especially since you know things should be final by then. You know you know as far as this this whole Big Ten thing, you know the way things are sounding right now. So we'll get that. We'll also get some of his thoughts on Lincoln Riley, all the different things that have happened, where they stand right now with a little bit more than a month to go until fall training camp and all that. So we'll talk to RJ from uscfootball.com about all that next week. So looking forward to that. What a time for college football. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. (laughs) I don't know if there's ever been so much change going into a year and everything's happening so fast. Like you said, Lincoln Riley at USC, he almost forget already that he's over there. Bobby, uh, the big question is, did you bring your saber? Because Michael Campbell is wanting some fencing talk tonight. So we don't want to disappoint Michael with no fencing talk tonight. Well, if there's one program that's good at fencing, it's obviously Notre Dame with all their national championships. I don't really have my tip or foil or whatever, (laughs) but they definitely have the best program. Is that enough fencing talk for one day, Michael? You're just, you're just, what, what you're saying is you left them in the trunk of your car. You don't have them with you right now because you know you have them so that's why it's good that you and i are far apart if we were together i might need it but yeah so nicole auerbach from the athletic just tweeted this just got off the phone with someone who believes this eventually leads to two mega conferences the big 10 and sec with 20 or more members apiece okay well that's when Notre dame probably needs to jump in right right i mean i don't know who that person is who thinks that but at the same time, I could, you know, get on the phone with somebody else who'd say, no, I don't think that's going to happen. So that's what I mean. I think you get to so much. But then of those 20 programs in each conference, the 20 programs can't be good every year. 
So you're right. eventually going to settle with good ones and bad ones. And then what do you do then? Do the bad ones break away to have a different conference so that they can try and rebuild? Adam Rittenberg, ESPN. Source on Notre Dame. It's really unsustainable to be an independent right now. For Why? BYU, sure, but not for Notre Dame. <laughs> right. Notre Dame's making money. Right. Do, do, do you have your own TV contract? Are you on national TV every week virtually? Do you, you know, what, what, what has made this unsustainable? They're not affiliated with the Big Ten. They're not affiliated with the Pac-12. I just. I, I think the fact that you're talking about Notre Dame and if they should join a conference or not shows their sustainability. They're showing that they're the brand that's still national, you know, because if, if they weren't any good, they would have to join. And the fact that you can even discuss it, I think, right. shows that they're the brand. Plus, with Peacock and with streaming and NBC, the way everything's going, who knows but the one thing you do know is Notre Dame's still making money. Well, here's another comment. Seriously, how are you even supposed to run a 20-team conference? Are we going to play 16 regular seasons? Yeah, re- well, regular we, season games, I think, is what he meant. But, you know, well, you, you essentially, if you're going to have 20 teams in a conference, you've almost got to you, – you do have to go to smaller divisions. Yep. Probably more than Dude. two. You've probably go to you know got to go to four, just like the NFL does. You know, it's or not just like, but – you know, you've got to have at least four divisions probably and then have like your own internal playoffs to to get yourself out at the end. That's exactly what I was thinking earlier. If they go to these mega conferences, you're going to have a tournament of tur- to get into the tournament. Yeah. And what you're going to end up doing is like World Cup style for soccer. You have pool play where you play your little division and then maybe the top two advance the tournament from it. Look, I mean, who knows? We can discuss forever. Everyone's been talking about super conferences and mega conferences forever this is just two more teams leaving a conference you know like what what was was the world going to end and we were going to have two conferences a couple of months ago when texas and oklahoma said they were leaving the big i guess it's been more than a couple months but still when they said they were leaving to go to the sec it's like the world's going to go on it's just Mm -hmm. that the the number of teams in these conferences are going to change there's still a bunch of teams out west there's still a bunch of teams in the midwest and they're all still going to play i i just i i just i i'm not seeing the doomsday scenario in all this and i still don't buy that this has anything right now you know to do with notre dame being forced into a conference again i i go back to it's going to depend on what happens with the college football playoff expansion and how stable is the acc going you know the acc is going to have to do something for sure because their tv contract stinks and it, it runs for several more years you know that's that, and, that, and that's like that's why Jim Phillips, you know, all that talk a few months back about Jim Phillips, the ACC commissioner, trying to get Notre Dame to join because if he could, you know, that gives the ACC that much more strength by Notre Dame being a full-time member. But, you know, again, just where everything sits but, right now, I think things are still in Notre Dame's favor. I don't think this pushes Notre Dame one way or the other. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. It absolutely doesn't because we're not talking about USC and the program itself moving. It's the market. 
because USC has been down lately. If Notre Dame were to join a conference, that'd be a seismic shift that would change everything. Yeah. Whereas USC going, it's like, oh, they're just leaving the Pac-12. That conference is dead. But it's not about USC necessarily. Whereas Notre Dame is such a brand, that's they're going to be the one that shifts everything. If they join a conference, then you're going to see that the mega conference yeah. happen. And if anything, Through again, we you know we've said this before, but the leverage is in Notre Dame's hand because mm-hmm. right now, okay, let's let's say that you know this this whole it's going to be two big mega conferences. Well. You know, Notre Dame can start a bidding war <laughs> between yeah. the SEC. Who wants and the me Big more? Ten. Yeah, that's right. And you know, who's to say? Who's to say? You know, as as big as the SEC and the Big Ten have become right now, you know, we we were just talking about the Big Twelve and the Pac twelve maybe joining forces. Who's to say that the ACC doesn't get involved in any of that? You get the top teams from each of those three conferences and form your own stronger conference. And boom, then you have another super conference, and then yeah. I almost wonder if we end up with the NCAA not regulating it, like if they start their own league or something. I mean, that's what they want. That's what right. uh, you know. A lot of the the power the playoff has want. pushed that kind of right, right. Oh my goodness! It, it's you know again. I it just, just happened so fast too, though. I know, I know. I just see independence as still the path for Notre Dame right now. I I don't see any. You know, again, I don't, I'm not seeing the doomsday. It's time to panic. You know, all of all of college football is going to be divided into two fiefdoms, and and all of a sudden, you know, everything changes, and, and it's not going to be Notre Dame land in the middle of that. I just, but they're I, the only one that can do it. And right. like you said, as long as the ACC holds up and they do their own, you know, their own stuff, they can do it. But they've still got the biggest brand, yeah, they've, by far know, in all of this. And if they and join one of the conferences, then I think there's a huge shift there, and. Even if it's the ACC, then I think you might be. They might be a recruiting tool for the ACC to get more people. But right, there's no lucrative thing for Notre Dame to join. Exactly. Do you want to hit any more rapid fire topics here before we wind things down? I could never spend enough time with you, so it's whatever whatever oh. your schedule is. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Let me ask you this one because I heard you know Aaron Andrews the. Mm-hmm. Uh, the uh, Fox um, sideline reporter, NFL. You know, she used to work with with Joe Buck and Troy Aikman. They're of cool. course moving on to ESPN now. Erin Andrews told the SI Media podcast that she's already talked to Aaron Rodgers about becoming an NFL analyst for Fox when his playing oh, days are done. So my question: Would you rather see Aaron Rodgers as a game analyst, a studio pregame analyst, or as a podcast host? Once he retires, well, the podcast host is interesting because that's the direction a lot of things are going. But I'm gonna, I would rather see him in the booth. I want to see him actually break down a game because I saw him on the Manning cast and he was pretty entertaining, but he kept showing his scotch he was drinking the whole time. <laughs> I, I want to see him for a full game actually given he's almost like a more successful version of Jay Cutler to me. His, his vibe and his brand just isn't great. I, I think I want to see him in a booth because I want to see him fail. Uh, yeah, I, I, you know what? I picked the podcast, like, especially if it's between the studio pregame or podcast, you know, like he did the Pat McAfee show and the longer he sits there and the more time he has to talk, the more he gives you eventually. And I just think that those pregame shows right now have become like so 
condensed into here's your 10 seconds to talk Jimmy right. Johnson. Here's your 10 seconds to talk Michael Strahan. It's like short bits. Nobody really gets to say anything. Aaron Rodgers has things to say. And I think that, that, you know, doing a podcast, you know, even if it's just like partnering up with Pat McAfee on a regular basis, yeah. I think that, I think that you'd get a lot more unfiltered Aaron Rodgers. Now I would still like to see him probably you're right. Like doing some game analysis and stuff like that. I don't think the pregame studio stuff would suit him because I think, you know, again, I don't think that that is enough room for him, for him to, uh, you know, have time for anything to say. I, I think that the podcast makes the most sense because again, he needs more time to kind of sit and then drink his scotch. And then as the scotch type, <laughs> you know, starts to take effect, it's like, now you've got unfiltered Aaron Rodgers, and that's what everybody's looking for, right? <laughs> sure, I think you're absolutely right. And those those um, TV shows, the pregame ones especially, the timing is like you said, like they have to time each other, so <laughs> they have to. They only get so much time, and then just because you retire as an athlete doesn't mean you should get a guaranteed job on a network on a pregame show. So, like him and Aaron Andrews could almost do a Manning cast, where it's an Aaron cast. It's Aaron and Aaron you know, something like that during the game. And that would be almost more entertaining than any pregame show or postgame show that's structured with a suit and everything. Yep. I would agree with that. All right. Let me see what we got. Oh, you know what? The USFL championship is coming on Fox up. this weekend. It is. It's on Fox this weekend. Fill in the blank. It's blank that the USFL has announced the league is going to be back for a second season promising because that's cool i in spring there's there needs to be more of a football league in the spring that's between college and pro the nfl i think i think it's good to have something there next year i think the xfl is also coming out though so it's kind of like are you gonna be pulling from the same pool of players and it's already a bad product i think it's good for them to they made enough money to sustain it for another year but i i don't know if we they need it in terms of television I agree with that. Um, I think it is significant, though, because especially here in recent years, all these alternate spring leagues have not got past year one. And I right. do think it's significant that this is going to make it to till year two. Now, the model that they've laid out, and I think we've kind of touched on it before. Like every game in Birmingham. Everybody plays in Birmingham, but it, it, it cut down the travel, you know, so that that's a huge expense that they eliminated by not having teams traveling around. Everybody played there. They made it a TV product. They had solid enough ratings. I think it averaged a little under a million viewers per game, which is not a ton, like if you're going to compare it to an NFL game. But for other things that are being televised at this time of year, it's actually pretty good. A bad number. Yeah. Yeah. And so I just, I think it's significant that, they're going to make it till year two, just because most of these leagues flop by the, you know, before year one, you know, look at these a couple of years ago, they were all folding before the first season was even over. So but I think, I think you're almost getting to, we just talked about college football for, and their new structure or potential new structure for a while here. If one of these semi-pro leagues limits the age of guys from like 18 to 22, and they just make it another option for players to go play, that might make it more beneficial for players because I don't think that you're going to have a spring league that turns into any, you're not going to get the USFL playing the Super Bowl winner. I agree. Cause I think last week we talked about which is going to last longer USFL or the live golf tour. And we both thought it was going to be live because one, they have money and two, mm. 
because they've you know paid the money stars. to the stars, and that should end up landing them some kind of TV contract, which will give them more money. You know, there are other things to figure out as far as their format and this team golf and all this different stuff, but there are no stars, and the product is not that great in the USFL. No. You know, the stars they, are the coaches. Yeah, that's right. If they if they have a direct relationship with NFL teams, I think it'll help them. You know, like if they can, if the, if the NFL can use the USFL as a developmental league, I think think it would help if they use it as a developmental league in terms of rules and stuff like that. But I think if you pair them to franchises, I think then you almost turn it into triple a baseball and how many people would watch triple a baseball for a rating. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, We've got this one, a question from Anthony, any more news on the baseball coaching search? at Notre Dame. And the answer to that as of right now is no, there's just, it's, it's, there's not been a whole lot of movement with that right now. Um, I do think that the two assistant coaches, the internal candidates are being considered. And we talked the other day about how the Virginia assistant coach, longtime Virginia assistant coach, Kevin McMullen uh, is reportedly a candidate, nothing firm on that right now, but you know, I, I see benefit in potentially the, uh, you know, the assistant coaches, you know, because again, taking in a, you know, an established system that, that they were part of under Link Jarrett going from a non-existent program into ultra successful in just a couple of years. And the fact that they were there to see, you know, the groundwork laid for that and exactly what went into that, you know, I, I think that, that, you know, that those are good options, but, you know, I don't, I don't think that they're going to be the only guys were interviewed i think they're going to end up talking to some more people it's just kind of slow moving right now because it's been less than a week since you know link Jarrett made the move down there and you know i i know that you know there was also a report that that notre dame was not interested in pulmonary and i and i think that you know that was in light of the fact that pulmonary decided he was going to stay retired uh you know <laughs> i'm i'm pretty confident based on some conversations that i had that there was strong interest before pulmonary ultimately said no, I'm, I'm going to stay retired, you know, so that was kind of option number one, but we'll see where, you know, kind of where things go from here. Well, and pulmonary would have been a stopgap anyway. He's not your long-term solution. A guy that wants to be yeah. retired, you you're just going to groom someone like, else. Like five to eight years, something like yeah. that would have been my guess. He's, he's, he's 64 right now. You know, speaking of which, Bobby, I, I've heard this question come up a little bit. Now you're a major league baseball fan. Sure. You know, who doesn't necessarily follow Notre Dame baseball. But I've heard from a few fans recently, you know, asking the question, is there anything that can be done to generate more, you know, interest and or support for Notre Dame baseball? So what would you say to that? Do you have any, you know, potential suggestions? I think in terms of like, how do you grow the whole sport? You said last week that the ratings for the college game between Texas and Notre Dame we're on par with that of the Astros and the White Sox. And they beat baseball. the Astros and the White Sox, yeah. So I feel like there's there's inroads being made. I think part of it's more accessibility to watching. But the problem with college baseball, the season's so short, and you don't really market any of the stars. Like Even people that watch the Irish in the World Series, they're like, oh, that was awesome. All they remember are mustaches and bananas. They don't really <laughs> remember any of the players or any of the right. names. And they don't follow them into the pros. Because Notre Dame's put quite a few guys in the pros, and if you were to follow it back, you should market that more and, and have that more of the discussion. That would help interest, I think. 
Yeah, and one, it's you know, I'll, I'll say this: keep winning. Right. You keep winning. There's going to be more interest. Um, you know, now now like even during the pulmonary era, it, you know that X Stadium was not packed every night, but there were you know a decent amount of fans there. The other side of it is though, it's tough with the weather the way it is here in South Bend. Now, personally, what I think what I would do, I've said this before. I would start with I would rip out the bleachers at X Stadium. I would rip out the bleachers, and I've talked to some players who've said this before too. Rip out the bleachers, put seat backs in, you know, to one make it more inviting, two make it more comfortable because they're aluminum bleachers that they've got mm-hmm. over there. Do that, and then put one of those, you know, like awnings, you know, like at Autzen Stadium. Put put like an awning over the top of it. And then put some heaters on the inside there to, you know, to at least kind of try to help out. Yeah, try to help the fans a little bit more who want to get out there at X Stadium. Now, I know that's going to cost a little bit of money, but that's a place that that I would start just in terms of the facility. And you're going to lose a little bit of seating. But again, you're not selling the place out (laughs) right now. And if you're not going to make the big investment, you know, to really, you know, bolster the seating i think you need to make it as attractive as possible so when i would do that with the grandstand third (laughs) you might think i'm joking about this but literally because it is cold out there i would sell beer at frank x stadium there you know there are a lot of places who sell beer on campus and i would sell beer at frank x stadium you know peanuts cracker jack hot dog you know dog and a beer you know just like james earl jones said dog and a beer and I'm going to be a Ray, but, you know, it's, it's, it's not like you've got a, you know, you know, you, you've got ushers out there who can keep controls on things. I would sell beer. I think that that would, I think that would help get some uh, people through the door. Even if they just sold beer on weekend games, let's say, or something yeah. like that. Cause you yeah. don't have to sell it on a Tuesday at five o'clock game. If you know, the linebackers close enough, you don't have to necessarily, <laughs> right. but I think another thing that would help, I'm going the other way from your idea is like have like little leagues where they can like, you know, maybe little leagues get, I mean, it's already free admission, but encourage the little leagues to come. Because if you get little kids that are watching it, then maybe they want to go home and watch it the next day on TV, the next game, and then make yeah. their parents watch. So it's starting youth, I think. But yeah, beer doesn't um, help. Uh, I, yeah, I think that's good as well. Uh, Irish Chi-Town says, Sean, that would make too much sense, so it probably won't happen. You're probably right. but The beer debate but, on know, campus is a big thing for every sport. Yeah, I know. I know. And, you know, it keeps kind of getting bigger. But again, there's so much money to be made, too, for there the is, university there's, without there's alcohol. There's money to be made. You, know, you brought up the admission. And, you know, I realize they did the free admission this year for the first time on everything but football and the two basketballs. And, and hockey. I, well, yeah. And, and I, but I don't think it really bolsters the attendance. And I think it devalues, you know, the, the product by completely saying, you know, you're, you're, you're not going to pay anything. You know, one thing they can potentially do is, you know, and this would be on the new coach, you know, again, this goes back to the pulmonary era when they used to have the the preseason opening night dinners and stuff like that. And they brought in big name guests, you know, like Tommy Lasorda, Jeff Samarja, Roger Clemens, Mm -hmm. you know, John Grisham, all these, you know, big name guests. And they would sell that place out. Everyone who got a ticket to that, you know, also got a season ticket. And, you know, I, I think that maybe going back and, and trying to get back into some of that at some point would help as well. But, you know, again, I think the, you know, the, the first point is continue to win. You continue to win, you're going to have more interest in your program. 
Well, and baseball is a weird sport in general because we're not having this discussion about basketball, even hockey. It's baseball that's on the fringe of like, should they charge? Shouldn't they? How can they make it more appealing? Because like softball, people aren't saying, oh, we got to find a way to make that more appealing. And then obviously I think like maybe better use of advertising and social media for the baseball program could help get them everywhere, splash them around. So everybody, you just get inundated with it. But like you said, you have to sell a good product before you can make anybody want to go or care. Yeah. And whether you like it or not, for both the players and the fans, I think that, you know, that, that scoreboard slat, you know, lack of, of, of jumbotron, which you can, you know, use for different entertainment, you know, to keep things lively between, you know, all those different kind of things that does matter that, you know, yeah. it does matter. And you can do giveaways. Like if you have a hoodie giveaway or something for the cold, then, you know, you know that they've done some of that over the years, you know, I'm not sure exactly how much more in recent years, because I've typically been doing a show, you know, while their <laughs> games are going on and things like, so I haven't been able to go to as many games over there, but you know, they, they've done some of that stuff in the past, you know, it also helps when you've got some players, you know, like when you, when you had a golden Tate and the Jeff Samarja that helped when mm-hmm. you could market those Cole, Cole Komet for that matter. But, Goes back to everything else. Stars. Yep. That's right. That's right. Winning in stars. Mm-hmm. Final question tonight, Bobby F one racing formula one is gaining in popularity here in the United States, or at least it's gaining in media coverage. I don't know that it's actually gaining in, in popularity. And, and that's kind of my question. You're a NASCAR fan, so you're, you're at least into racing. Are you paying more attention to F1 these days as well? Personally, no, because I've been a Formula One fan before I was even a NASCAR fan. But what you're seeing in Formula One, you talked about their the media coverage or whatever. They have a race in Miami, and then they're getting a race in Austin, or they already have a race in Austin. So two I think races in this races. country. I think it's four races that they're going to have this year if i if if i read well in north america is what they're going for okay but then next year they're going to have one in the las vegas strip formula one's always been trying to get the american fans involved what they did recently is they did a drive to survive netflix documentary and that really piqued a lot of american interest in formula one so so to me yeah i think it's great for the sport but what what they're doing that they're going to have two to three races in one country next year, which is almost unheard of for them because they travel the world. They don't spend that much time in one specific country. So, yeah, I think it's great for their 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 national or their worldwide brand to get America more involved. Yeah, I think so as well. I, I, I definitely think it is good for F1. I've just been surprised, you know, because like even like some of the other podcasts that I listen to that are like sports media related and, and stuff like that. They're talking about F1, you know, TV rights and, you know, all this different stuff. And it's like, you know, Netflix, I get, wasn't it Netflix that was streaming, you know, the, this, this stuff for a while. And they were talking mm-hmm. about all these new TV deals and all this stuff. And it's just like, eh, I've just, I've just personally as a sports fan, never really gotten into it. So I, I just, I guess I've been surprised about all this F1 talk lately, but that, you know, as you said, they're trying to make a move into North America to kind of gain some more traction here. They just got their new rights deal with ESPN. And if I remember the number, it's like 60 million a year now is what ESPN is paying to to them to F1 to be able to air their stuff in America. And then when this contract runs out, the one that they're on now was only 5 million a year. So you want to talk about the boom 
That's a huge difference from five million a year to sixty million a year. Right. And they I weren't even the highest bidder. Amazon was up there and Netflix was up there, but Formula One wanted them on a real channel with you know over the air stuff. I see a topic formulating in our YouTube chat for next week. The blue bloods of college football. Who are the blue bloods of college football? Yeah, oh, you're you're covering your face because you love that blue blood conversation. I love it because you and I I think we were actually on the same side. We did this for basketball. We can, that's right. We talked about it for basketball back on the old radio show. Uh, I think we're going to have to talk about it for football next week because I think it's that's a great topic. It's yeah, it's it's starting to uh, once a program is a blue blood, you can't really take that away unless you're talking about Yale or Nebraska. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, and see, and that's there. That's we go. a question here. Number one ND fan. Once a program is a blue blood, you can't really take that away unless you're talking about a Yale-like fallout of relevancy. And obviously, you know, the Ivy League. Or, as you said, Nebraska. Or I think SMU. we're going to have to get into that. Maybe we're going to do we'll, – we'll do some blue blood tears next week. T-I-E-R-S, not like, you know, crying tears. Well, it could be both. You've made me cry before. It <laughs> wouldn't be the first time. <laughs> that is true. All right, Bobby. Good stuff tonight. We Man, we had a lot going on tonight. Yeah. There's more recruiting stuff going on over the next few days. You know, there's. I think it's like, uh, where is it? I, I think we've got more recruits. I'm trying to remember how many days in a row that we're supposed to get more commitments. I've got it here. Let's see. So to, you know, yesterday we got Williams. Yesterday, Jagusa. Tomorrow, Micah Bell is making his announcement. Rico Flores on the third, which is Sunday, and then Christian Gray on the fourth. It's like, come on, Christian Gray, you don't want to, you don't want to let people celebrate the fourth of July. You know, you've got to make your announcement then. But that's cool, especially if Notre Dame ends up landing. Yeah, if Notre Dame gets them, it's awesome. <laughs> Otherwise, right. forget you. Yeah. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Hey, don't forget. Hit that like button and subscribe on YouTube and, uh, you know, subscribe, follow, comment, rate, all that good stuff on the audio platforms, wherever you get your audio podcasts as well. We are going to be off. This is our final show of the week and for the month of June as well. And it, it wraps up week three. Bobby, great talking with you as always. I will talk to you next week. Have a good 4th of July. All right. You too. Stay safe. All right. I'll try. Well, as long as I stay away from you lighting those fireworks. Everyone else have a great fourth as well. We will talk to you next week. And again, Brian and the guys will be having plenty of, you know, they got the mailbag shows coming up and, and more recruiting shows uh, coming up as well. So we will, uh, again, I'll talk to you next week. Declan, thank you. Declan says great show. We'll just wrap it up with that. Talk to you next week. Have a great fourth of July. IB Nation Sports Talk.
I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.